Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have David Selberg here with us today, who is a Santa Barbara native and UCSB alum and has been active in the nonprofit community since 1991. He filled multiple roles with Pacific Pride Foundation, the Central Coast's LGBTQ and HIV AIDS organizations. At Pacific Pride, after starting a countywide food pantry for people living with HIV AIDS, he went on to serve as program director, communications director, and finally as the executive director for eight years. David also was the program director at Transition House for a number of years. In addition to his professional work, David volunteered for 12 years with the court-appointed special advocates, CASA, working with high-needs children in the foster care system. He was elected to the statewide HIV working group in addition to serving as a board member for a number of local nonprofits. David has a personal connection to the work of Hospice of Santa Barbara through his good friend, Gail Rink, who nurtured HSB into the full-fledged organization it is today while she served as its executive director. David has served as HSB's chief executive officer since 2015. During this time, he has helped facilitate HSB's higher profile expansion of programs and various community partnerships. In his spare time, David enjoys time in the desert, traveling and spending time with friends. David, welcome and thank you so very much for being here. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. This is, this is a real treat for me and I think that you know, David, we were talking a bit beforehand, you, you've been active in so many different amazing causes. And I think that I'm always so inspired when I sit with you and to hear some of your journey and what you've done. And, and I'm curious, David, like, how, do you, how do you make a decision on what you're going to get involved with? Do you, are you one that kind of thinks things out? Is it something more that you're, you're, you follow your heart with it? Is it more of a a moral calling or it feels right. How do you make a decision on what organizations you're going to get behind and, and put your energy towards? They really have to pull uh, toward my heart forward in, in the mission of what they do. Um, that's really what moves me um, is I, I always start with the heart piece and then figure the rest out, um, you know, in my, in my head space. So, yeah. Being, being someone, David, who, who does that, who follows their heart and being a, a heart-centered leader, is there any, you know, maybe leadership tip or something that you've really learned or embodied over the years of, of being a heart-centered leader? Because I feel like, especially as we emerge into whatever the post-COVID world becomes, I think there will be a, a some sort of evolution in leadership where you'll start to see more and more leaders going to the heart by choice, but also I think the workplace will demand it even more. Mm-hmm. You know, is there something that you have really taken away from as your time as a leader in, in following your heart? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think for me, um, it's, it's a couple of things that keep reoccurring for me over my years of nonprofit work. Uh, one of those things is the inner conversation that I sometimes have of, or my inner voice that says, oh, there's a better speaker for this. There's a better, there's a more astute person with the numbers or budgets or the public profile piece. And what I always remind myself through the years is sort of to, to drag myself 
to the point, sometimes kicking, um, of you are who you are, David. Bring what you have to it. Um, you're a tool toward whatever that mission is. So, you know, I'm not always the most articulate person in my public profile work with nonprofits, but it's, it's the thing that you and I have talked about. If, if we don't step up and do it, how is that going to happen? So um, that's kind of one major piece is in spite of all my foibles, I kind of just bring forward myself um, the best I can. The other one is to gather people. Um, I've worked for very effective leaders that are very hierarchical um, and um, and there's a lot of structure in the way they manage. And the way I've done it is very consensus. It's bringing people together, it's gathering people, um, whether it's a community or, or staff or manager, managers, that kind of thing, excuse me. David, you too, you know, one of the things I, I think is so impressive by you is I've had, the, I've had the privilege of sitting in a few meetings with you. And these are some of the meetings I've sat in with you. There's a lot of talk, and there's a lot of opinions. And it's interesting because what I've observed from you is there could be 15 people in the room and you make a point of almost saying the least of anybody. Uh -huh. And I think that's so, absolutely incredible and then when you and so it becomes this really interesting dynamic and i observe because ultimately there's going to be some sort of decision that you have to make mm -hmm. and yet you have you're not weighing in an opinion a thought really that much on it and if anything the only time i really hear you comment is to ask questions mm -hmm. and it's it's usually in an hour meeting you might ask one maybe two questions is that, has that always been you? Because I feel like, especially in this, the modern world where we all have these megaphones attached to us in our social media and, and our email and our text messages. And I feel like most of us are in that competition where we're trying to be heard and we're trying to talk louder and more to make sure people see and recognize the value that we bring. Have you always been that person that acts as more of an observer or is it something that you've grown into? And if it's something you've grown into, how have you begun to grow into that? Yeah, I think, I think when I was early on, when I was super involved in my AIDS, HIV AIDS activism and LGBTQ activism, I was super verbal and super, um, in the conversation, I talked a lot. Um, and I think as the years have gone on, I've just, I've, I've, I've gotten a bit more patient in how I do things, or I like to think I have. I'm not so um, in your face, but there used to be a season of my life in my 20s, late 20s, early 30s, where I was super activist. and. I definitely have changed um, from that. And I think some of it is just um, life. You know, you and I have shared um, a lot about the losses, the deaths that we've experienced in our lives. So I, I think some of that has made me a bit quieter in my life. Um, 
and just living life with all of its uh, challenges. I think that's that's brought me to a much much more uh, uh, contemplative space, mm. if that's the word. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't always that way, to be honest with you. I was kind of a pain in some meetings um, and very verbal <laughs> long ago. <laughs> <laughs> in a land far, far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I should tell everybody, those of you who have been following me on social media for a while and who followed the interview series I did several years ago with my friend Johnny Aspra and his ALS journey. The way I originally met David was John, and you, if you'll recall, those of you who followed that series, you'll have remembered John mentioning quite fondly local organizations that were helping him kind of make through. And, and one of those organizations that was critical to John's care was Hospice of Santa Barbara. And I met David the first time because of John, because John had been so, well, all you know, Johnny liked to talk a lot. And if you haven't watched that series before, I, it's a really, I encourage some of you to go back and, and check it out. It's a really incredible journey of an individual as he's going through the last period of time in his life, but it's not about him dying. It's about him really living. And it's so incredible to see this person go through this transformation of getting to the point where he's a few months left in his life and he's talking to the camera and I have it on camera making and, and proclaiming completely congruently that the last few years of his life living with an ALS have been the, the most ha happiest years of his life. And much of that I think is attributed to the wonderful work that organizations like Hospice of Santa Barbara do in providing this, this care with the care that was able to help John function. And I want to transition to Hospice of Santa Barbara in just a moment. But before that, David, you mentioned about our conversations around death. And I, 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 you know, right now, the time of this recording, it's, it's still in the midst of COVID. I, I feel like there's this kind of this collective grief that many people are going through, whether it's actually suffering a physical loss of a loved one, whether it is a, a suffering from the loss of, loss of a job, the identity that went with that job, the loss of financial security that's come from this, the, and then the overwhelming cloud of uncertainty that I think a lot of people are in. And I'm wondering, David, for you, because I, I think that loss and death can be one of our greatest life teachers. And I say that from a place of not being in that emotion that comes right after loss and death, of in that throes of it, where you feel like, this is the end, you know, that there, it's, it's so heavy and so hard and the, the cloud is so consuming that you may not get out. Mm -hmm. So there's two things, I guess, I'm going to ask you this question. Number one, for somebody who might be in that space right now, is there any advice that you might pass on to them that could serve as some sort of guiding light to them? And then the number two, I'm curious, this is a personal question, considering the idea of loss and death as a teacher, what is the most important lesson for you that it has taught you? Mm. I love your questions. You know, one thing um, that, that those in my life have taught me who have died, who were given my, uh, my partner of many years uh, was given a terminal diagnosis. He died many years ago and he and so many of my friends during the AIDS epidemic 
um, and friends who just died of everything else, cancer and, and other things. One thing I've learned from them is that as they get closer, if they have that opportunity, not, not everybody does, obviously, um, if they see their, their death in front of them and it's imminent, one thing they've taught me is life is so precious at that point. Gosh, wouldn't that be some a way to live for all of us, touching upon what you're saying? But one thing they've taught me is that their world gets smaller and that all the kinds of people they associated with, the, the news shows they watch, the, the trivial things in their life, they kind of let those things go. Um, and, you know, I remember my, my partner, he used to say, he used to talk about certain people in his life, and he had so many people in his life were, were energy suckers. They would drain him. And as he got sicker, he realized, I can't be around them. I don't have that reserve or that desire to be around people that drain my energy. So his world got very uh, precious to him. That was very true also for Gail, my predecessor, whose office I'm sitting in now. She was a dear friend of mine and, and really renowned in the field of hospice and end of life. And she, with her terminal diagnosis, her world became very small and precious. So one thing I think that people have taught me is that huge, huge lesson of of, you know, life is precious and choose carefully what you do, who you connect with. Um, it's, it's really a powerful message I've received. I love watching the news, but all my friends that have gone through that process of dying, they've, they stopped watching the news, you know, they stopped listening to the current drama um, and thought of much deeper, bigger things. Hmm. What was your second question? It was for people who are going through, who, who are really feeling that collective grief right now. And they're in that space where they feel like, you know, that, that heaviness that comes with it. And also that, that feeling that the light at the end of the tunnel seems so far away, or maybe it doesn't even exist where they're at right now. I'm wondering if you might have one piece of advice that might shine a little light in there for them to you know, that could potentially illuminate a path for them to begin to travel. Yeah, I think, I think it's almost different than what I just said slightly, but I think the idea of human connection, quality human connection during this time in whatever safe way that is for a person, but the tendency to isolate is, is just, I have friends that are quite uh, elderly and um, and I notice that their isolation has been so not healthy for them. And so how do we, how do we stimulate them? How do we provide safety for them as they're vulnerable during a pandemic with it, with COVID-19 exposures? Um, yeah, I think, I think some sort of human connection and also checking in, you and I talk about this, I now go for walks like never before, appreciating this, the city I live in, that we live in here. And I do it early in the morning and, and it helps ground me the rest of the day. Um, and so when I get afraid or 
or feel alone, that kind of grounding of walking or doing something physical on a, on a regular basis is super, super helpful too, I think. So quality human connection and, and checking in with self by some sort of go for a walk or do some, something that's just for you. I love that, David. And I, I absolutely love what you said too about the making the world smaller. And I think it's, it's such a fascinating thought to observe because so much of, it seems, the stress and anxiety that we subject ourselves through life and that we may suffer through throughout life comes from that expansiveness. It comes mm -hmm. from giving our precious energy to those who would be the energy suckers or the energy vampires, right? Right. Giving our precious energy to the, the talking heads on the news that are, they, they're sitting there with their little nuclear launch buttons, just fear, stress, anxiety, you know, and, and, and or even now on social media, probably even more so, it, yeah. right? It's something else. And it, it, it is quite remarkable to really consider that when you do, and perhaps everybody who's listening, watching right now, you may pause and consider, especially if you're in great health, to think about how would you enhance your life? What would your life look like if you made your world a little smaller? What would your life look like if you, there was one or two people who might, you might notice that they cause, or they're some of the sources of the greatest amount of stress and anxiety. And when you just talk to them or around them, you kind of feel a little blah. What would it be like if you just kind of limited that a little bit, or maybe you even snoozed them a little bit on social media or something like that, and just gave yourself that little reprieve and checked it out and then checked in with self and see how you're feeling from that. Jesse, I love what you're saying. The stillness, the stillness of what you're describing. Um, as, as people die, as I've been in the presence of so many people going through the dying process, there's, there's something really powerful about stillness. You know, looking out the window as someone's dying and seeing what's ever growing outside that window or the quiet and the stillness, it's so valuable. And it's valuable right now for us to, to have some sort of peace with that um, as we go through a, a world pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've definitely learned to, gosh, who was I talking with the other day? And I was talking, uh, it's, uh, my mind's blank to it was, but we were talking about the, the morning time and I was sharing with them how much I treasure that first little bit of time in the morning, maybe for a couple hours where I don't say anything. Uh -huh. Word passes through my lips, but it's quiet. It's still, and I get up so early that nobody else is really awake. And I, it's just, it's really quite incredible just to be present with myself. And something I've observed, I used to have, I, I had the busiest mind. I always had such a busy mind, David. And most of that busyness was not very happy busyness. Uh -huh. And, you know, now it's, it's fascinating. In, and so stillness used to be such a scary thing for me because if it was still and quiet, I was left with whatever was swimming around there. Mm -hmm. And now, and I don't know where, if it's a combination of my own, my work, my growth, you know, going through losses, all these types of the, the convergent of life events. But I've noticed now that during that stillness time, one of the most pleasurable pieces of it is how quiet my mind's become. 
Mm-hmm. And in so doing, it's, it's that grounding piece you're talking about, walking about how been present I become to things I would have noticed before, sensations of wind on my skin, you know, mm-hmm. what the cool air feels like, you know, little subtle changes in the temperature variance. Mm-hmm. Just being aware of how it feels to feel my feet move through my shoes, mm-hmm. all, the, all those kinds of things. And it's, it's, it's really quite extraordinary to see how those little nuances be, can become so enriching in life. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. Let's switch over and talk about hospice for a little bit. Okay. Tell me a little bit about Hospice of Santa Barbara, what the, what the organization does, what you're all about, and then we'll, we'll switch over gears from that to talk about this event coming up this week. Great. Hospice of Santa Barbara. Um, really, what we do is so different than what most people, most all of us think about. When we think about hospice or the word hospice, we think of medical beds, dying, the final days of someone's life. And that really doesn't describe at all. Um, that's a medical hospice program, but Hospice of Santa Barbara is really the original uh, definition of what hospice was when it was brought from England uh, to, to the U.S. and throughout the world, actually. And it's, it's accompanying somebody through the, that long journey of, of death and dying and significant illness. So what we do at hospice is we support people that are going through, and their families, that are going through terminal or life-threatening or serious illness, we support them with our social workers and our care managers. And we also have a robust large counseling program. So we we counsel individuals and families, kids, young children to seniors as they're going through a grieving process. Um, Maybe somebody that is dying in their lives or someone has already died. And so our counselors and therapists um, provide that service as well. Those are our two main programs at Hospice of Santa Barbara. We do a lot of community education as well um, on end of life topics. And um, so we're really a holistic program um, that serves people and their families around end of life issues, end of life needs. And something to also just to cl- it's it's completely free. Yes. Right. It's it's free to people who use it. And I think something that's really incredible about what you all do is there's not a okay, you've had your ten your ten counseling sessions, you're getting kicked to the curve. You will allow people to come and receive counseling, right, free of cost for as long as they need that support. Yes. That's exactly true. Um, for some people, it might be a few sessions. For others, it might be, you know, a couple years of a journey before they feel strong enough um, and they feel like they have the 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 wherewithal to to go on after counseling. So, yeah, we're with them through all that. Sometimes we get somebody who calls us who had a death many years ago, but they never. They never really addressed it. They never felt it. They never went through that process. And they'll call us and say, hey, I need to do some personal work, some grief work. Um, so yeah, exactly. That's really incredible. I've had several friends who I who have utilized that program and they have given the most incredible testimonials about how critical and essential that was mm-hmm. to their own 
their own healing and moving forward. And then also you're getting more involved in the various communities and the educational communities. I know there is quite a presence with doing some work around teenage suicide in the various mm -hmm. high schools. And then also Santa Barbara County has a large Hispanic Latino population. And so hospice now of Santa Barbara is making more of their services available to that community, which is often very underserved in, in many ways. True, exactly right. Yeah, we're serving more and more uh, folks in the Latino community, which is so necessary. I think over 40% of our county's uh, um, uh, population are of the, of the Latinx community. So it's super critical that our programs um, serve um, a diversity of populations. Let's let's talk really quickly in the few minutes we have left here, David. As I promise you, I would I would I'd be in, on time integrity with you. Tell us a little bit about the Heroes of Hospice event on, that's coming up on Wednesday, September sixteenth. I believe is right. Wednesday is Wednesday the sixteenth. Wednesday is September sixteenth. Wednesday the sixteenth at six o'clock. Yeah. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that. It's a virtual event, like all nonprofits are doing. Um, it's it's our we always do an annual fundraiser. You've been such a support for us on that over these past years. Um, this will be our eighth annual. It's the first time we've ever done anything virtually like this. And what we always do is we acknowledge local heroes um, that serve end of life, um, end of life topics, end of life needs in our community, and we acknowledge them. And this year, we're have a, we have a special focus on COVID-19. Those people in our community that have really stepped up and their organizations to serve uh, the effort of COVID-19 in our, in our cities. So um, we have some amazing awardees or honorees this year. So that's part of our program. Um, truly remarkable people. Um, and then we have Pico Iyer is visiting us, um, and that will be such a powerful conversation. He's known internationally. Um, he's worked with the Dalai Lama um, many, many times over many years. Um, he's authored. He's done an enormous amount of, of personal work. He, he's, he's quite notable in the field of personal development. Um, and so he wants to talk about some of the precious lessons like you and I were reflecting on earlier, some of the precious lessons of what we're all going through right now with COVID-19 and the pandemic. Um, so those are some of the big components. It's a one hour, it's slightly under an hour. Um, none of us wanna sit on, on looking at a, 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 an event for you know two or three hours. So we're keeping it tight. Um, and it should be a really a good heartfelt hour. Yeah, and everybody just to know you're this is since it's a virtual event, this is open to anyone anywhere in the world. It's a free event to attend. Yes. And while there is going to be highlighting some local community members, I would encourage you to just to check that piece out because they're doing some really incredible and inspiring things that are replicatable in any community. So it can it can be very inspiring for ideas. And then two the the time with pico is going to be a time for it's not going to be a santa barbara conversation it's going to be a global conversation about just being in in what we can all take away from this time 
So I would encourage you all to attend. I will certainly be there. And it's, it's going to be, I've been blessed to be a part of this event for the last several years. And each time they exceed what they do. And it's really, it's one of those ones where you come away from, I feel, I feel like more thoughtful, mm -hmm. thoughtful, more self-aware. And I feel like this year, considering the, the communal space we are globally, it will, it will certainly do that. And it, in a way it maybe hasn't quite yet in the past. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. Remember when you and I started working on these, on these Heroes of Hospice events four-ish years ago, maybe five years ago, and you and I talked in a large group of people and we both said the same thing. How do we bring intimacy to a large group event, a large gathering of people? And I think, I think, Jesse, I think, we're going to create Im intimacy in this event as, as challenging as that might seem in, in a virtual world. I think we can do it. I think it's going to happen. Yeah. Thank I, you love, too. I love you said that, David. It's so true. It is. It's, it's, you know, a lot of times there will be on the invitation an intimate meeting, but it never is quite intimate because once the liquor starts flowing, intimacy is all out the window and it's, it's a completely different thing. Yeah. Right. I, I have that. It has that feeling already to it that it will truly be an intimate evening of reflection, reflection of self, reflection of, of life, reflection of the people that you share life with and reflection of what you want your time to be like going forward from the moments that you share in that time. So yeah, it's, it's, we'll have the, you'll see the links here. It's in below in the notes. It's wherever you're watching, listening, this, the, it's there. It's a free event to attend and we would love for you to be a part of it. David, we're almost out of time. So I'll just ask you one final question. Okay. I'm curious for you, this time of COVID and you've had time to reflect and ground and go through, and we were just alluding to talking with Pico about some of the lessons uh, that he's taken away and him sharing those. What has been the biggest, you know, insight, aha lesson that you've taken away from this time of the, I guess we could just call it the COVID time. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a huge question. I think for me, it's, it's my connection with, with family, my connection with my close group of friends, and staying really present and connected to them. Um, and, and that has been truly a gift to me that I never would have expected. Um, when this all started, I, I'm kind of an introvert in many ways, and I thought, wow, you know, um, I'm going into empty offices. All my staff are working um, virtually. And, and I thought, wow, I'm going to have a lot of peace and quiet. And then it became sort, somewhat unsettling, you know, too much isolation, right, um, months ago. And so I think for me, it's drawing close my friends um, that are so uh, um, valuable to me and my family. Um, uh, and I have such a close connection with one of my brothers and our time together is so valuable. Those are precious gifts I've received. And also giving to the greater cause that you and I are doing together with Hospice of Santa Barbara and this Heroes event, always giving bigger outside of that intimate piece I described. Does that make sense? Makes 100% sense. I love Perfect. it. Yeah. Everyone. 
Wow, what a treat this was, wasn't it? David took us on this fantastic journey of really what started with his evolution and leadership, coming into a, a leader who leaned into his heart and it was always having to follow his heart and it was a greater good that he could be a part of. Going from a loud and very, you know, talk a lot 20s and 30s to being the one who now where he's at now listens more, he, more patient, more understanding, really more attentive in his leadership style. And it's something that I think for all of us who are leaders can listen to is, is that question we can ask ourselves, am I listening enough? Am mm. I truly listening enough? And listening enough is not typing an email at the same time, but it's being present and listening, hearing what everybody else has to say, not just the words they say, but the meaning they're putting behind it and being able to make decisions from there that really elevate the entire team. From there, we went into a credible conversation about lessons in death and what David has learned. And I think what he shared about making things smaller, the lessons from the dying about making the world smaller. I, that one really, really sat with me. The idea of, of trimming away some of the noise, because I know for me personally, much of my angst and anxiety and stress comes from whenever I'm putting myself into the things that I cannot control or spending time with people who I already know are going to likely trigger something. Mm -hmm. And they're not ones who I want to spend a great deal of time with anyways, yet I will voluntarily subject myself to it. And, and for why? Because if I was sitting here and somebody called me up and said, hey, you got three and a half, four months to live, they would not be at the top of my, let's have a picnic list, you know? And so I, I think that's such an, a, beautiful, a beautiful consideration for all of us to make is what would our lives look like if we made it a little bit smaller? But then also on the other side of it is, is finding ways, if you're feeling that isolated loneliness, if you're feeling that cloud of grief hanging over you, is to make sure that you're finding those ways for human con connection. As challenging and as difficult as it may be during these times where we're still encouraged to isolate and shelter as much as possible, consider the opportunities that may exist for you that you can create about how can you can connect with others. It might be going for a walk. And even if the two of you are six feet apart or wherever that is, or just reaching out with somebody and asking to have a conversation, a conversation that is not interrupted by these devices, you know, that in of itself could foster an extraordinary connection. If the two of you sat down and just agreed to chat with both of your phones on silent and do not disturb, my goodness, will you learn so much more from one another than that? We talked a little bit about the Heroes of Hospice event, and David said, you know, in an, an online event that we truly will create intimacy that's going to be free for all with Pico Iyer keynoting it and sharing with us in his, his journey and his journey with working with the Dalai Lama for a number of years. And David's own reflections on what he's learned and taken away from this time of COVID. David, this was absolutely such a special treat, my friend. Thank you so very much for sharing so generously. And I look forward to the Heroes event on Saturday. I hope to see many of you all there. See, you know, see your names pop up in the virtual world. And David, thank you. This was really special. Thank you, Jesse. And thank you, everybody who, who are listening. Thanks so much, Jesse. Absolutely. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to them.